0: Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task, until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I discerned their end. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it's good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Those are verses 1 to 3, 16 and 17, and 27 to 28 of Psalm 73, which is the psalm appointed for today, Friday, September the 16th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. We have finished yesterday with our look at the book of Job, and so now we're in the book of Esther. First chapter, the first four verses. Skip forward to chapter to verse ten, and go through verse nineteen in the um, Gospel of John. Today we're in uh, chapter twelve, verse thirty-six B to verse forty-three, and in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter seventeen, the first fifteen verses there. So the part we skip in Esther, I'll go ahead and give you a heads up. So what we're going to hear on the front end of this is is that the the king Ashverus or Ahasuerus, however you want to say it, um has given a banquet that lasted 180 days so nearly half a year. And we're going to hear about that. But then there's a second uh, period of feasting that lasts seven days. So the first one was, was for the officials and the army and the important people. And the second was for seven day long. And it was for everybody. So we're going to hear this where we're, it's going to pick up. Once, once it, we skip over that part, it's going to say on the seventh day. That's that second feast. So, now in the days of Ahasuerus, the Ahasuerus who reigned from India to Ethiopia over 127 provinces. So, we, we believe this is, is King Xerxes who reigned in the late uh, 5th century uh, uh, BC, sorry. And uh, so 600 years ish, 500 years ish before Christ. Um, about a hundred years after the Babylonian exile, so in, in so he reigned over India to Ethiopia, which is a huge chunk of territory, and it's in Iran, by the way, is where we are in those days when Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne in Susa, and Susa there's a Susa in Italy, but that's not where this is. This is Shushan, which is in modern day Iran and so this is where daniel probably was it's it's where we know for certain this is where nehemiah was at the time of the restoration of jerusalem so Anyway, that's where he is in the citadel. In the third year of his reign, he gave a feast for all his officials and servants. The army of Persia and Medea and the nobles and governors of the provinces were before him while he showed the riches of his royal glory and splendor and pomp of his greatness for many days, 180 days. So nearly half a year, he's entertaining these people and showing them the, the splendor of his throne. And it would literally have been pretty an amazing place. Um, a lot of excavation has been done there. It's, it's a huge area, and it would have been a, a place that, that would have been something to see. It would definitely have been a show place. So now we skip those verses and we come to on the seventh day. When the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mehuman, Bistha, Harbona, Bigtha, Agatha, Abagtha, sorry, Zethar, and Carcass, the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King is to bring Queen Vashti before the queen, king with her royal crown in order to show the peoples and the princes her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. Now there's all kinds of stuff that, that, that you can see in this. There's There, there are legends and myths and uh, madrash and all this other stuff that talk about this issue. They don't agree with one another. Um, some suggest that what he's actually done is compelled her to uh, appear naked before these people, and so it depends on the commentator and whether they think Queen Vashti is a um, of noble character or not. Whether they put her, in, it, whether it's she's objecting to this because she doesn't want to appear naked before all these people. It, it, it's an open question. There's nothing that's that's clear that that suggests that that's the truth. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command delivered by the eunuchs. At this, the king became enraged, and his anger burned within him. Because she defied him and refused to come at the king's behest, which is certainly uppity, let's say, um, that the queen would refuse to do that. So that's part of the reason that people will say that oh, he must have compelled her to um, to do something that that was immoral in appearing before the people. <clears throat> Then the king said to the wise men who knew the times, for this was the king's procedure toward all who were versed in law and judgment, the men next to him being Karshina, Shethar, Admatha, Tarshish, Merez, Marcina, and Mimucan, the seven princes of Persia and Medea, who saw the king's face and sat first in the kingdom. So these would have been important men. They they would have been the people who were the king's advisors, the, the closest people to him, those who, quote, knew the times which means they, they had a good understanding of the times. They, they understood the world around them appropriately so that they could be good advisors. And he said, According to the law, what's to be done to Queen Vashti because she has not performed the command of King Ahasuerus, delivered by the eunuchs, then Mimikan, in the presence of the king and the officials, he's one of those advisors, Says not only against the king has Queen Vashti done wrong, but against all the officials and all the peoples who are in the provinces of King Ashverus. For the queen's behavior will be made known to all women, causing them to look at their husbands with contempt, since they will say King Ashverus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, and she didn't come. So, in other words, they'll all get attitudes towards their husband. All the all the men in the kingdom will now have to deal with uppity women who refuse to do what they're required to do by their husbands. And then, therefore, it'll be a problem then. It'll cause, it'll cause a problem in marital relations all over your kingdom if you don't do something about this this um, uh, uppity woman here. <laughs> he says, uh, this very day, the noble women of Persia and Medea who have heard of the queen's behavior will say the same to all the king's officials, and there'll be contempt and wrath and plenty. We can't have that. We can't have these feminists coming in here and refusing to do what we tell them to do. If it please the king, let a royal order go out from him and let it be written among the laws of the Medes and the Persians so that it may not be repealed. And so it's sort of like the pope and papal infallibility on things that are where he makes a pronouncement ex cathedra. In other words, if he speaks on an issue and speaks in a certain kind of way, then he's considered to be infallible. And that's part of the problem with Henry VIII and his divorce from Catherine of Aragon was that the problem is the Pope gave a special dispensation for him to be able to allow her hit that marriage because she had been his brother's wife. And now when he seeks a divorce on grounds that I, it's not li- actually religiously okay for me to marry my brother's wife, well, he, the, the Pope is in a funny place because he's, he's going to have to say, I was wrong the first time. And, and also, well, Catherine's um, uncle— was the Holy Roman Emperor at the time, and he certainly didn't want to make, make um, a pronouncement about it that says this was an illegal marriage. And, and by the way, she's basically a tramp for having done that. So, anyway, but it, you can't repeal something that is a law of the Medes and of the Persians and the Medes. He said, let it be that Vashti is never again to come before King Ahasuerus and let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. So we we got to get rid of her. we got to kick her to the curb uh, because we can't let other women get the idea that they can say no to their husbands. So that's, that's the, um, the advisor's uh, memucan. It is his uh, advice to the king to, to do it this way. So you gotta, you're going to have to get rid of her and, and never allow her into your presence again and then bring in a new c- queen. So in the gospel... Jesus had, had talked about walking in the light and and that the light is only with them for a short time longer. And, the, and they've asked the question about, who is this Son of Man? Because the Christ is going to live forever. And you keep talking about this Son of Man who's going to be lifted up and die. And so we don't know what that is. And so when Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them because they were looking for him to arrest him. So, so Jesus is, is making himself scarce here at that time. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still didn't believe in him so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So it's nobody believes these things, even though they have heard and seen, they don't believe. Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. So that he's given them over. And, and this is the, the kind of the way to look at this is, did God harden the heart or did he give them strength to harden their own hearts? So d- did he fortify that resolve to do that, uh, to not see? Because there's a bigger plan at work there. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Now, so what did Isaiah see, right? So in Isaiah 6, what we see is is that he sees um, the Lord high and lifted up the train of his robe filling the temple and the the cherubim flying back and forth, uh, crying, holy, holy, holy. So Isaiah had seen the Lord, is what, what we're being told here by John. He said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him, and who is his that he's talking about, who who is his and him was Jesus. That's clearly what John's saying is that this was a pre-incarnation epiphany and revelation of Jesus that that he actually saw when he was in the temple. so what what he's saying is is that that Isaiah actually saw Jesus. he He saw him revealed prior to the incarnation. And that's what he's talking about. So that when when Isaiah says these things, he's talking prophetically about Jesus in a time to come. (laughs) Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they didn't confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Now, is he talking about Nicodemus here? It's, It's unclear if that's who he's got in mind, but it's pretty clear also that Nicodemus did believe. So it's quite possible that that's who John's thinking about when he makes this comment, and Nicodemus will ultimately come and stand with Joseph of Arimathea to receive the body of Jesus, so he comes sort of out of the closet as a, a secret disciple at that time, and and now he, he's cast his lot with Jesus after the death of Jesus, which he deserves great credit for because that's prior to the, prior to the resurrection. So... John is, is giving us a heads up here that, that there were people among those leaders who believed in Jesus, but their fear of the Pharisees and fear of the reprisal that would come against them, and, and they would be kicked out of the synagogue, and they would be lose their leadership seats if they came out and, and um, took the stand with Jesus, so they didn't because of that. So John's got some inside information here, and, and there's no question that he did, because we see in the book of the Acts, uh, early on, and I think it's Acts 6, we see many priests who became obedient to the faith. And so you see some of these leaders in the community come into faith really early on, after the resurrection and after the day of Pentecost. So so John's probably talking about those people that we read about in Acts 6, those priests who become obedient to the faith. They, they just couldn't do it while jesus was alive because they were afraid of of the retribution that would come against them if they did and we saw that in john 9 with the man born blind where, where they'd been told that anybody who believed in jesus was going to be put out of the synagogues and so that's the reason the the man's parents wouldn't even say yeah we know how he was healed jesus healed him um no they just said nope he's of age ask him how he was healed so th- then he's put out of the synagogue At the end of the story so that's exactly what these guys feared but they had a lot more to lose than the blind man did they had a lot more to lose than the blind man's parents did because these they had positions of leadership and authority in the nation so they were they were well respected members of the Jewish leadership John tells us that some of those people believed, but they didn't have the courage to step out because they appreciate they they liked their positions more than than um, glory from God and so he's contrasting that with Jesus who had so much more uh, glory, but he laid it all aside in order to become incarnate and ultimately to be crucified. So remember now in the Acts lesson that, that we've, we're moving with Paul and Silas, who's come from Philippi, and now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. So remember I said that I don't think there's a synagogue at Philippi because he never mentions it. And the reason he doesn't mention it, I believe, and the reason they go to the to the river thinking there's a house of prayer there or a place of prayer is because that would be the typical thing that if there were not enough Jewish men to have a synagogue, then the second thing would be there would be people praying together by the river. They would gather anyway on the Sabbath um, to, to worship and pray. So here, though, we're told that in Thessalonica there's a synagogue, and Paul went in as was his custom. And see, he didn't do that in Philippi. And on three Sabbath days, so three weeks, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead, saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. Now, remember what the people's argument was yesterday in the gospel lesson. The argument was is that we know that the Christ is, it lives forever. Who is this Son of Man that you're talking about who's going to die? Now, they didn't count on the resurrection, so he did. He suffered death, but he didn't see corruption. We've already seen that in in saying that David clearly is not the one. He's, he, David's writing about in the psalm where he talks about the holy one will not see corruption. So he died, but he didn't see corruption. So that he Paul is now believing that, even though they argued with Jesus before that, saying the Christ is lives forever, and the Son of Man apparently whoever that is. Who, it sounds like it's somebody different based on the way you're talking about him, Jesus. So here Paul now is arguing that the point that, no, the Christ actually had to suffer and die. And that's not what anybody believed. And so Paul had to argue that from Scripture in such a way that that Jewish people could see it for the first time and believe it. And so what we're told is, is that um, some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. So these are people who are, who are these devout Greeks were probably God-fearers. They were probably people who were Jewish proselytes. Um, and, but, and they were convinced by the truth of this um, argument that Paul made and, a, and not a few of the leading women, which is, it's always interesting to me how often we're told that, that there are groups of women who are, who are leaders in the early church because they, they were the, the first ones to come to the faith. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and, <clears throat> oops, sorry, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out of, to a crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities. Now, we don't know who this Jason is. We assume he's a leading man in the city at some level, based on what happens here in a second. These men who have turned the world upside down, have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there's another king, Jesus. Well, yes, that would be the proclamation, that there would be another king named Jesus. Well, good luck finding him. He's not trying to take an earthly throne, but what they need is they need a wedge, so the wedge is that, that they're teaching us to do things that Caesar won't allow, and they're also not only that, they're claiming that the authority for this comes from a different king whose name is Jesus. So that that's what they're trying to stir up, is, is that story. And, and so the the Jews were unhappy because their proselytes were going over to this new sect, this Christian group, and so they got everybody in an uproar. And what's interesting is, remember a couple of days ago— when at uh, derby and lystra when when the people when the servant girl um, when paul rebukes the spirit in her their argument is hey these people are jews and and they advocate for us to do things that's not lawful for us to do here who is it that stirred this mess up it's the jews who are there and they got some of the rabble wicked rabble of the street to come in and make the same claim, but it doesn't apply to Judaism because, well, no, it can't apply to us. We don't want to go down that road, so we have to go a different road, and that is, oh, there's a different king. His name is Jesus, and the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things, and when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So Jason apparently was a well-known citizen in Thessalonica, and also a man who had money. And so they extorted some money from him um, before they let them go. And then the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away to Berea, and when they had arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. So here we go again. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, which is hilarious to to read that. Paul is basically saying, you know, the, the Jews in Thessalonica, man, they were just not good at all. But the ones in Berea, yeah, they were more noble. They, they were a better group of people. They received the word with eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So they, they took it seriously, and, and they listened to what Paul had to say, and then they matched that against what the word said. So Paul's having to prove it to them from scripture. He's not just making arguments. He, he's making scripture-based arguments with these people. And, and they, they said, okay, we're, we're going to make you prove that. We're going to hold you to that standard. So we're going, to, we're going to check the word as well, and we're going to see if we can find in it the same things you're proclaiming, Paul. And they did. Many of them, therefore, believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there, too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. The brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving command from, for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So the, 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 you've got believers who are stepping into to new roles. The, the gospel is advancing, the kingdom is growing, and, and Paul constantly stirs up <laughs> the Jewish people wherever he is in jealousy because of the evangelistic success that he's having, because their proselytes are leaving, and even some Jews are leaving, and so now they're becoming more important in the town, to the Romans particularly, than the Jews themselves are. And they, so it's the same basic jealousy that's driving the Pharisees, the scribes, and the priests, and all that against Jesus. They see that the people are going out to him, to Paul, and to Timothy and Silas and the others, and so they don't like it. Because the, the, they're the new thing in town, and, and I've seen this in in tons and tons of churches. This jealousy that that constantly follows around, you know, successful churches. Um, it, it's it's a difficult thing to deal with. It, it's um, sometimes you see it, and, and there's just no way that you can ever understand why anybody feels that way, because it's not about me, it's about Jesus. And if the kingdom's growing, then I don't care if it's growing at your place or my place. I mean, I like it to grow at my place, but if God's not given the growth, then it, then if he's given it somewhere else, then I, then I can celebrate that, right? I don't have to be jealous of that, um, but that's exactly the way that most people react. And so they've got to be pushed down. You've got to say bad things. You've got to do these things. And it relates back to the whole Queen Vashti thing, is, is that we can't allow that. <laughs> we can't allow that, because if, if we allow that, then it's going to flourish throughout the kingdom, and everybody's going to have a problem, so we got to put it down, which is exactly the attitude of the Pharisees in, uh, and the council, really, towards Jesus, and also the, the attitude of the Jews towards Paul and the missionary success that he was having. We need to celebrate whatever God's doing, wherever he's doing it, whether he's doing it in our thing or some other thing, we need to celebrate that. We need, we need to celebrate the growth of the kingdom, no matter where it's happening. If, if we have nothing to do with it as somebody else, we shouldn't be jealous of that. We should celebrate the fact that God's continuing to advance his kingdom wherever he chooses to do that.